Over the past few weeks, there has been a number of scripture scripture passages that have popped up in our lectionary. Uh, lectionary being the collection of readings that uh, the Catholic Church has that we read during Mass. And these passages uh, kind of spoke to us uh, in particular, where we just had a few good conversations uh, about um, the themes that popped up in these passages. And so for this podcast, I'd like to uh, talk about just some of the things that have been on our minds, uh, kind of uh, that have popped up in our normal conversations uh, going through the lectionary uh, attending Mass. And so there are three verses in particular, um, one from Matthew and two from Luke, and uh, we can start with the one from Matthew. And I'll read the passage in full, and then we can um, break it down uh, in our conversation. Yeah. So this passage comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. It will be as when a man who was going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received the one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not have then put my money in the bank so that I could have got, got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. That's a passage that Peterson has brought up a couple of times um, in his conversation about like the Matthew principle. Um, one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me when he would talk about that, um, it just, I was reminded of it again when it came up um, in the gospel a couple of weeks ago, um, was that just how real that, that pattern is, that to those who have more, more will be given, um, and to those who have little, even that will be taken away. It's, it's really um, just so applicable to so many different ways of different aspects of life. Um, I think of my own endeavors in business. 
um, and seeing how the Pareto distribution affects, you know, how I market. Um, even, uh, even the, the idea that like the top 20 of something will make 80% of its revenue. Um, so like my top 20 songs make 80% of my revenue. Like mm. that, that's, that's across the board. Like my top 10 videos make the majority of the views. Mm-hmm. Like every aspect of my business follows the same Pareto distribution. And it's, it's like you could pick any arbitrary point of analysis um, in any aspect of my work and it shows the same pattern. And like that was a really just like awe-inspiring moment um, recognizing that there's something to that pattern that's revealed in the scripture that obviously it's not just about capitalism and how that pattern works, but there's something that even capitalism and economics is touching on that's beyond itself um, that Christ is revealing in these scriptures. I think there is a certain pattern of reality that's being revealed uh, in this passage, especially with that Matthew principle, um, and that principle being that for to everyone who has more will be given and he will grow rich, but the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Uh, at, at first, it, it it could strike someone as being extremely unfair, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, our, our natural inclination might be, well, if he has a lot... And the person who has little, why would, why would God allow, like the person who has more to increase in his wealth, while the person who has less, uh, why would you know that be taken away? Mm-hmm. However, I don't think this is um, just an arbitrary, uh, an arbitrary law that God is um, imposing on us just because He wills it. There is a again um, uh, something that's uh, in- congruent with reality. I like in the beginning of the um, of the passage that we just read, uh, he said, um, let me see if I can find it. He says, Master, I knew you were a demanding person. Mm. As if like this rea- like reality is demanding, <laughs> right? right. Um, as if uh, there's a harshness to the way the world works, you know? And, and I'm stretching the um, analogy of master to reality mm-hmm. a little bit, but I think it works there. Um and I think that we just we know this experientially that if you have, if you perceive what you have as a little bit, then it will not grow, right? If you say, "I'm too tired to exercise," then even that small desire to exercise will diminish. It will be taken from right because you're not letting it grow in a sense. But if you say, "Okay, I have a little bit of a desire to exercise." I'm going to begin exercising, mm-hmm. and you you focus on a desire, ignoring the uh, the um, your tiredness, right? Or ignoring your weakness, and you focus on what you have, and treat that as something, as something worth having. Right. Then it'll begin to grow. Yeah, or even uh, even um, ignoring the fact that other people might have more energy. You yeah, know, like like the middle right. servant got two coins, and so he could be like, I almost Ooh. got none. Like I almost got the one and he was almost at that point. Yeah. But even from there, he was able to say, I have a lot and I'm going to do something with this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that point about the perspective um, is really, is really important. And, you know, to, considering that both the, the servant with five talents and the servant with two talents, they both, um, they were both um, given the same reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the master said, come share your master's joy. 
uh, to both of them. And so it wasn't so much like, oh, the one who has five and made me more money, he gets to share more. It's, uh, again, going back to the idea that perceiving what you have as riches, even if it's objectively little, mm-hmm. um, that will lead to multiplicity. Uh, so Right. Yeah. It's interesting that this servant, the, le- the wicked servant, says that the master is demanding, and that's why he didn't act. That's why he buried the talent is because he knew he was a demanding person, but he was punished nonetheless. So if he had squandered the coin or he, you know, he didn't make any money off of it, he was thinking, well, my master's a demanding person. He will punish me for this. It's like, well, actually you're, you're being punished because you didn't do anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you said, if you view the things you have as, well, I don't have that much. So that's kind of my excuse for why I don't need to do anything. It's like, well, you're already receiving your punishment in a way. Right. It's like one way or another, you will receive a punishment. Either you act and you fail or, and, you know, and maybe you, you feel um, like you can't act again or you do nothing and you receive your punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, the- like either way, like, reality is coming for you yeah exactly right yeah there seems to be a little bit of that um like lukewarmness too of like uh it, the lukewarm are the ones that christ will spit out of his mouth yeah you know, so it's like if you right. if you're like oh you're demanding so i'm just gonna do nothing it's like that's worse yeah yeah and there's something to be said about um being creative with what you have right uh like when, when, if you have a talent uh, or if you have a certain gift, uh, whatever it might be, saying like, how can I best use this to make it grow and work for me, right? And, and, and so the idea that the one who had only one coin or talent, uh, that he didn't do anything with it, uh, there is that, uh, I like that, um, that you brought in that idea of lukewarmness, so this sloth almost, towards what you're given. Like you're not delighting in the things that you have or that you're the things that you're given. You actually grow sad and you grow fearful. Um, right. You know, the servant, he was given this talent. And the first thing he thinks of is, well, the person who gave this to me, he's a demanding person. And so there's this fear already. Mm-hmm. So his disposition is already uh, working against him. Uh, and, and then that's where even what he, like even what little he has will be taken away. Um, but can you imagine if he said, like, wow, I've been given this one thing. Yep. How do I make it grow? How do I make it work for me? Like, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that the master wouldn't trust me with this little thing. Mm-hmm. That disposition is already fertile ground for him uh, multiplying what he's been given. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the parable does say that the, the wicked servants, la- it's, it's his laziness as to why he didn't act. Yeah. So yeah. he was kind of avoiding liability and responsibility mm-hmm. yeah. right as opposed to the other two that showed action and responsibility for what they've been given and multiplied whereas he was fearful and lazy yep and i mean that's just that's practical wisdom right i mean that's just common sense right um again this is not you know that that matthew principle is not an arbitrary law that our lord is imposing mm-hmm. uh to create inequality <laughs> this is something that we perceive as true on right. a commonsensical level i uh, think this so. ties this ties into what we were talking about last week um 
about just patterns of reality and how it's all kind of fitting into one thing um, and how like Catholicism or Christianity in general, uh, like the, the claims that the claims of our belief are not arbitrary. Um, and, you know, to, to say like, well, there's this economical principle called the Matthew principle, and you can see it in every aspect of economics. And, and then there's this passage from scripture, and this really is talking about gratitude and responsibility and your own personal actions and virtue. Those seem like they're unrelated, but this is how deep the Christian claims are, that they participate in such a deep part of reality that it, it even encompasses things like economics. Yeah. Um, I mean, like that's, that's the basis for like why capitalism is better than socialism, because it's a more real economic yeah. system. Like, of course, there's problems. You can't just be an economic being. Like, there's like a whole conversation around that. But the, the real question is like, does this participate in reality better? Yeah. And the answer is yes. So like, that's why, that's what we're really trying to strive towards. And that's what Christian principles are based on, are these like overarching, overarching uh, patterns of reality. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you want to talk about um, uh, what you have been given multiplying um, like you said, like these things are related, uh, basically related. Mm. <laughs> they are, <laughs> they're connected uh, at such a level where if you uh, focus in one area of your life and, and let it grow, let's say if you know, you're growing a business, that will spill over to the way that you grow a relationship and the way that you grow a family and the way that you're a better Christian. And yeah. like, so it's not just in one area you're going to uh, your riches will multiply. Yeah. But it's in your entire life. It just yeah, that's becomes what, overflowing. That's what it means to be properly oriented. You know, like to have mm -hmm. all your passions in the right place and what have you. Because there are people that, you know, run businesses that are malicious yeah. and vice versa. There's some virtuous people that like have good family lives that can't run a business. So it's yeah. not inherently a given that one will lead to the other. But there's a way to participate that you can see the flow and, and let one part of your life um, speak to another aspect. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's what it's done for me in like learning so much about economics, but then hearing someone like Peterson and then seeing the immediate like bleed over into like my family life. And it's just so revealing if you can get like, if you can get that aligned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I think the, the talents are obviously supposed to, to symbolize these various aspects of life, you know, natural mm -hmm. gifts, grace, knowledge, wealth, and that you're, you're, you're called, you're, you're given these by someone else in some way. Mm -hmm. So therefore you're called to use them and multiply them to the best, each according to their ability. Yeah, there's um there's also something about the, um, the Pareto distribution, Matthew principle that um, speaks about like the logarithmic scale versus a linear scale, how like things accelerate um, exponentially or decrease exponentially. Um, versus? Versus linearly, which is yeah. just like straight line. Okay, um, yeah. 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 Yeah, so... The world seems like it lays itself out more logarithmically than it does linearly in, in the way things decay or accelerate. Um, and I feel like that's a, um, a a method of thinking that we're not familiar with because we're just kind of attuned to think linearly and just in terms of survival. And like, you know, it's easier to map out what to do next on a linear scale. Um, but it really it really shows the importance of doing something long term and how that like the idea of compound interest like it's it's hard for our brains evolutionarily to conceptualize something like compound interest we just think of like oh like one percent of a thousand is you know just one percent more than that but then if you compound interest like the, james clear talks about this in atomic habits of being one percent 
better than you were yesterday, every day. So you're 1% better. Then the next day, you're 1% better than you are in that day. And you continue on for a whole year. You're 37 times better than you were last year. Mm. Not 1%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the idea of compound interest and how, or compound logarithmic outcomes um, is really something that affects habits, affects your, your moral life, you know, obviously bleeding into things like economics. Um, but it, I feel like it's a really important concept to understand if you're like trying to build a habit mm-hmm. or you're trying to, you know, I want to work out. I'm, you know, I want to wake up early, whatever it is. Um, it, it's not like you have to restart every single time. Like, I'm just going to try to do 10% better than I did yesterday. Um, that like compounds and compounds and compounds and you get better and better and better and it right. gets easier and easier and easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, what, the parable kind of says as well, like, since you are faithful in small matters, mm-hmm. I will give you great responsibility. Yep. Yeah. So if you can right. do the small things, mm-hmm. they lead to, this, this, to something bigger. Right. Yeah. Or greater. Um, let's move on to the next uh, gospel passage. Yeah. That's Luke 14, mm-hmm. verses 7 through 14. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. Yep. I have that pulled up here. He told a parable to those who had been invited noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, give your place to this man, and then you would proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place so that when the host comes to you, he may say, My friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, When you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your wealthy neighbors, in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the uh, parable is essentially, he who humbles himself will be exalted. That kind of pairs well with this idea of these patterns uh, to adhere to. You know, I'm, again, like if we're just going to continue the the parallel to my business. Um, I can see running a business as a kind of masculine endeavor of building and building the city and extending uh, the kingdom per se, but it only leads to a certain, it only goes so far before I come up to uh, aspects of reality that I need to be underneath. So like I need to humble myself in light of how a business is wrong. A business is wrong. How yeah. the economy mm-hmm. works. Like all those things I can't arbitrarily make up. So I can only go so far up until the um, pattern of reality is now above me that I need to be under. Um, and it's only through that that I achieve greatness in that endeavor. So, you know, obviously like a sport yeah. endeavor, you have, to, you have to follow the rules. You have to be a good basketball player before you can become exalted as the best basketball player. Yeah. So the right. rule is always above you. And so there's like there's there's never a time where you can go all the way to the top and encompass everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
essentially subjugating yourself um, to learn, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in any endeavor, you cannot start out as a master. You have to be a student. <laughs> and so, you know, to, to approach whatever you're doing um, at, almost naively, right, and saying, like, I don't know. That's the only way you can grow. Uh, and, and Peterson actually talks about that too. He says, like, in order to be the hero, you have to first be the fool. And so, like, that archetype of the fool, you know, who can blindly go and, and stumble along the way, and he kind of can even make fun of himself mm-hmm. because he knows, like, well, he's a, he's at least moving, right? And I think that there's a uh, there could be a tendency to people who are afraid to be the fool, um, you know, who think of themselves too highly, uh, mm-hmm. that won't get very far in life because, well, then you're just stuck in your own world, right? Uh, if the first stage of wisdom is knowing that you know nothing, right? Mm. Uh, you know, that's Socrates' whole point is all I know is that I know nothing. And you can almost see Socrates as kind of this fool in a sense. Uh, but, you know, his legacy is that he was the wisest man in mm-hmm. Athens. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a, I like that idea of, um, you know, being a fool before you can become a hero. So, yeah, it would seem then that humility is is the foundation for lofty things. You know, humility is supposed to temper your desire for lofty things. But I think what it you know what it also does is that it provides a a foundation like roots. I guess before yeah. to use an analogy, um, humility provides the roots into the soil before I guess you can grow upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know is perhaps cliche, and you know remember where you came from, remember what you started yeah. from. But still, but, I mean, yeah. But you know it really is. I mean, humility mm-hmm. is, is is a serious yeah. virtue. Isn't that the etymology of humility, like humos? Yeah, like yeah, earth. right, exactly. Of the earth, yeah, right? of the yeah. earth. You can say mm-hmm. down. People that are down to earth are yeah. tied to reality, right, right, right. Uh, and so they see themselves as they really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't see themselves bigger than as yeah. they are. Yeah. Uh, and if you are tied to reality, if you're down to earth. And you see yourself as you are. You also recognize things that are above you. Yeah, right. And ultimately, um, true humility is recognizing not only who you are, but who who you are in relationship to God. Mm-hmm. And that that is a stark contrast that should make anyone feel small. Yeah. Uh, and, and but it's it's when you realize I am nothing. You know, in an exaggerated mm-hmm. sense, I am nothing. That's when you become something. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, the um, there's also a, a tie, like kind of jumping etymologies, from like humility, humos, which is like earth, um, and then in earth you have like mundus, which is world, mm-hmm. and then you get the word mundane, mm-hmm. and so like thinking about it in terms of how does how does one do great things, you first tie yourself to the mundane. It's mm-hmm. like, it's through the mundane, it's through embracing the cross, it's through the family life, like, you know, all these, all these mundane things that you think are arbitrary are what ground you for you to then move upward. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I really like in this passage that we just read that our Lord is talking about appearances, right? And so, uh, you know, when you dine at a table... Make sure that you take the lowest seat among you, you know, and, and so that you won't be embarrassed. Mm. And then he says, um, you know, when you hold a banquet, uh, invite those who cannot repay you. 
And then he says, the, the passage ends with, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And he's, I think, insinuating this bigger vision of uh, immediate earthly gratification that I think people can tend to desire when they do not humble themselves and want to be exalted in the moment, mm. right? Whenever you approach, if, if you approach something, whatever it might be, wanting to be exalted immediately, you are looking for that immediate material gratification. Mm. But if you keep your eyes focused on the bigger picture, uh, you're not focused on your material gratification. If you're focused on the resurrection of the righteous, mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as the gospel says, then you can actually begin to um, gain that exaltation uh, through the path of humility. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, because the, you know, he says the one who humbles himself will be exalted, but then the one who exalts himself will be humbled. Yeah. So it's like, you know, taking the basketball analogy, like if you think you're all that and think you're amazing at a particular sport, immediately you're going to be humbled. Yeah. Immediately. You'll be, made you'll, the fool. You'll be shown mm -hmm. yeah. that, like, you are in fact a fool. Yeah. Um, so either way, you're going to be a fool. Might as well, like, make yourself Embrace a fool it. first. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I didn't think about that set, that last part of that parable, how that re relates back. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, so, um, the resurrection of the righteous, to having that bigger vision um, that's not in, in, tied to the immediate, immediate material. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah a, lot, a, lot of these, um, a lot of these things talk about, I mean, this passage and the last passage are, are really talking about like your perspective on things. Um, and we were just talking about this earlier about how saying like, well, it depends on your perspective. That gets really like trivialized. And I feel like there, there should be a deeper understanding of what we mean by that or what when people say it depends on the perspective, like in a phenomenological sense um, and how it, it forms your reality when you see things from a perspective. Mm -hmm. um, that's like the proper orientation. It's the same thing. It's like you're facing a certain way and, and reality is revealing itself to you from that perspective. So it's not a, like a call to um, like relativism. It's really, it's about your orientation and how reality plays itself out from there. Yeah. And ultimately, like, you have to have a perspective. There's no such thing as a, an objective yeah. perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think we like to conceptualize um, objective reality, but right. objective reality can be only be perceived through the subjective. So, yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to move to the last? Yeah. So our last passage that we want to talk about today is... It's also Luke, Luke 14, same chapter, um, but this is verses 25 through 33. It begins, Great crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion? Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers should laugh at him and say, This one began to build, but did not have the resources to finish. Or what king marching into battle would not first sit down and decide whether, with 10,000 troops, 
he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops. But if not, he will, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. That one really jumped out at me because it just seemed really interesting how Christ is trying to lay out, again, a pattern of like, if you want to be my disciple, you have to renounce all your possessions. And then he like goes on to explain, like, this is how obvious this is. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you were going to build something, you wouldn't, like, wouldn't you want the, the want to know how to do that? Yeah. And like plan ahead. And then in the same way, if you want to become my disciple, this is how obvious this is. Yeah. It's just, it's just really stark when he built, when he pulls in those two examples of being like, this is how real this pattern is. Yeah, and and in the examples that he gives, they are the builder and the king. They, what he's insinuating is that they need to see a much bigger picture than just the immediate uh, goal that they're working for, in order to achieve that goal, right? And so, you know, the builder doesn't just sit down and and immediately starts building. He has to plan and actually have that image of the building uh, in his mind before he actually can undertake building. And same, the same thing is true with the king. When he marches into battle, he has to first sit down and decide um, how he can oppose the, um, you know, his enemy. And so that bigger picture, I think it relates to the bigger picture that Christ is um, trying to give us when he says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's not so much about the cross is the only path for the Christian. And therefore, I think, you know, we can expand that to for the for humanity mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. The suffering is the only path towards eternal life. And that's the bigger picture. So while you may need to carry your cross, just as the builder has to first plan. Uh, there's a goal after that, right? right. Uh, and so that seeing that bigger picture, um, I think, is um, is what our Lord is trying to to get at in in these in, in this passage. So this um, this passage always struck me as a little odd because it he's basically saying calculate the cost of discipleship, <laughs> like mm. like like which one of you mm. before you follow me would not calculate the cost of following mm-hmm. me. Right. So it seems as though Christ sets up the cost and then talks about, you know, like you said, the pattern, having this image in mind, and then finishes it by saying, you must renounce all your possessions. So he's saying the cost of following me is that you must hate, mm-hmm. you know, wife, you know, yep. children, yourself, father, mother. Mm-hmm. You must pick up your cross and follow me, and renounce all your possessions. That's the cost. And you would factor this in no matter what. Like kind of what you said, Matt, like this is obvious. You would factor yeah. in costs for everything. So in the same way, perhaps, you should factor in the cost of following me. Right. But that seems like a deterrent, right? I mean, mm. in a way, like, hey, before yeah. you follow me, figure, like think think yeah. about this. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things like this yeah. in, in the scriptures that seem like contradictions, but are really just two things kind of being held in tension 
to like paint the picture because like then he says like come to me who are weary because my burden is easy and light like right. and then also you have to hate everything and reject everything and carry your cross and yeah. it's difficult and sacrifice your life it's like what is the answer yeah <laughs> yeah and, and yeah when while you were making your point i thought of uh you know the rich young man who says like sell everything you have and follow me mm-hmm and it's like, is that really the cost? Like, what do I get out of following, following you, right? Yeah. Um, but again, like, and this is the point that we made from our going over that first passage. It's not an arbitrary thing, as if God is like, to follow me, let me, uh, you know, I'll, let's just say you do this, you right. know, and it's, just, uh, it's, it's this is not arbitrary. This is actually a a pattern of reality. This is the way that reality reveals itself, and so. And so again, like he, he's t- our Lord is tying hating your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life to carrying his cross. Mm. And so I think there's this sense of uh, detachment that you have from reality, saying like this: all this is secondary to a life in Christ. And th- and this goes back to um, a saying that Socrates, um, I think it was Socrates, who said. Uh, no harm can ever befall the just man. No harm can ever befall the just man. And mm. we can understand ju- uh, the just man as um, the virtuous man, right? The one who uh, is pursuing a life of the good. And so if we are pursuing the good life, as Christians, we would understand that as pursuing God, following God, then no harm can come to us because that's what we place first. Right. And we can see reality as like whatever happening to us, whether good or bad, you know, to us or to our father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, and even our own life, whatever happens, it can, it falls under the, that umbrella of God's providence mm-hmm. and it can't affect us pursuing God. Right. And so in that sense, we, you know, you become impervious to mm-hmm. suffering, right? You almost become immortal. Right. Um, you know, when, when you, I'm not saying it's, it's easy. Once you follow Christ, everything's easy. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But when suffering done, does come your way, like the cost seems little, you know, right. uh, you know, you can endure a lot. Um, if you place following Christ as the center of yep. your life. So. Yeah. There's, um, speaking on that, like perception, um, kind of like revealing it's revealing, revealing reality to you, um, there's like a fundamental, you know, concept that, uh, let's say if I'm trying to get behind you guys, right? So if that's my goal, then you guys and the couch is my, uh, is in my way. And so I'm seeing that as an obstacle to my goal. But if I'm trying to get to the couch, then it's my goal. And so like, I'm, I'm either detested by it or attracted to it, depending on my goal. Mm-hmm. So what Christ is essentially saying is what if the cross is what you're trying to get to. And it's not an obstacle. Yeah, so that Mm -hmm. means the suffering is actually not an obstacle. Mm -hmm. Like there's a way to see reality in which that this becomes embraced and then propels you forward towards, you know, obviously heaven and union with him. But um, I think that's what he's revealing there, that like there's a way to see this, that it's not an obstacle to your your goal. It's actually the thing you're going towards. Right, right. Very um, complicated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Christianity is a religion of irony. Mm. Uh, you know, in order to lose your life, you have to save it. Yeah. 
or no, rather, just if you want to save your life, you lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, God becomes man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it's just this upside down um, religion. Yeah. Uh, but it's in living it that you actually see the validity in it, right? Mm. So. Yeah, that um that last scripture passage was the gospel reading. Um, I think it was a couple weeks ago, but it had a um the first reading that went with it. Can you read that? Um, I I sent you the link. It's wisdom. Yeah, I have it actually um, pulled up here. Yeah, because I think it's related to this whole pattern thing. Yeah. This is uh so this is the first reading from uh paired with uh Luke fourteen, twenty five, thirty three. Mm-hmm. The, the one that we just read. Uh, this is Wisdom 9, verses 13 through 18. For who knows God's counsel, or who can conceive what the Lord intends? For the deliberations of mortals are timid and uncertain our plans. For the corruptible body burdens the soul, and the earthly tent weighs down the mind with its many concerns. Scarcely can we guess the things on earth, and only with difficulty grasp what is at hand. But things in heaven... Who can search them out? Or who can know your counsel unless you give wisdom and send your Holy Spirit from on high? Thus were the paths of those on earth made straight, and people learned what pleases you, and were saved by wisdom. Yeah, that that really strikes me as the whole mission of Christ, that revelation. That, that, you know, who can know the patterns of heaven? Yeah. Unless they be revealed in the way Christ did. Um, And that really just kind of ties the three passages we were reading from the Gospels, as this kind of just, you know, Christ coming down to reveal the patterns of reality to us and then giving us the option to... How to live according to those patterns, yeah, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, and I love... Yeah, that's exactly right. And that last sentence in that um, uh, that passage from Wisdom, thus were the paths of those on earth made straight, and people learned what pleases you, mm-hmm. and were saved by wisdom. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. that's great. And capital... W on yep. wisdom, <laughs> yep. um, like this, this, like we're saved by Christ. Essentially, yeah. that's mm-hmm. how we would interpret that yep. um, as Christians. Is that um, you know Christ is the wisdom of God. That's one of His titles. And so when it says, "And we're saved by wisdom," we can read that as saying, "Right, the, thus the paths of those on earth made straight by Christ, mm-hmm. and people learned what pleases you, as yep. in what people learned how to live reality, yep. and were saved by Christ." Yep. Who showed him that pattern? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good stuff. yeah. Who can know your counsel unless you give wisdom and send your Holy Spirit? Yeah, so it's like that's the Trinity, right? Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. whole. It's the whole. Yeah, salvation history. Yep. Yeah, it's powerful. Lee, do you have anything else to add? Oh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> y'all, y'all said said all, said all the things. <laughs> said all the things. Cool. Well, not all the things, but yeah, there's, there's a <laughs> well, lot in here. Well, there's there's so much to say in scripture, right? It's, yeah, it's um, unending. Yeah, thank God, because I would run out of homily material <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's stop there, though. Um, let's see. Basically, related.com uh, forward slash AMA to ask a question uh, every month. Uh, we release uh, questions to those who subscribe. Um, you can subscribe at basicallyrelated.com forward slash support. I'm Matt Hylam on all social media and Lee is Coach Lieb. Bye, everybody.